0: During this series, we have given examples of what birth should not look like from people who have suffered harm or death during or after birth. Wanda Irving will forever be haunted by her daughter Shalon's death. Brenda Zamora will always think she could have done something as an 18-year-old with no pregnancy health education and no community or familial support. Amy Kortz-Kootman is still wrestling with the trauma that she experienced while birthing her now preteen son. In this episode, the final episode of the series we are going to explore what birth should look like.
1: Black women and black pregnant people's bodies have historically and continue to be under surveillance and monitored and controlled.
0: I wrote a report called Women's Watch that predicted that there would be overlap between the white supremacist Mm. movement and the anti-abortion movement.
1: Birthing persons are not listened to.
2: Well, they used to birth in the fields. They can handle pain. It's about gender. A husband stitch?
3: It stopped short of where Mengele and the other Nazi architects took it.
0: She was basically kind of just yelling at me for being pregnant, and I... Never went back to the OB.
1: And the
4: nurses, no one would come out and see me. They just wouldn't face me.
0: This is American Dreams, Reproductive Justice.
1: I'm your host, Erica Washington. My name is Chandra Summers-Armstrong. I'm the Assemblywoman for Nevada Assembly District 6 here in Southern Nevada. In
0: 2021, Assemblywoman Summers-Armstrong brought forward a bill for Medicaid to
1: reimburse doula services. I didn't have a doula, but I had a midwife when I lived in Germany. And uh, both of my two older sons, Brandon and Dexter, their births were assisted by this midwife. Her name was uh, Frau Gisela Busa.
0: This bill idea came from us at Make It Work Nevada.
1: Quentin Savoir,
0: who is now the president of the Southern Nevada chapter of the NAACP, reached out to the assemblywoman about sponsoring it. But she already had a connection to supportive birthing services.
1: When he was talking about the effects that they believed doulas could have on good birthing experiences for women, I thought, wow, are these ladies actually going to get a little bit of Frau Bussa And the love and care and attention and advocacy that I got with her, I can get with this bill. So that's how it happened.
0: Frau Busa attended Summers Armstrong in the 1980s. Her first son is now 35. She paid out of pocket because the nearest hospital the military would cover was two hours away. She paid $120 for all of her care, from prenatal to birth to postpartum.
1: It was an amazing experience. My doctor was the, they called it the head chef. He was the highest OBGYN at St. Joseph's Hospital or in that particular medical group. I didn't know at the time that part of the care that I paid for for each delivery, included the midwife. And what came with midwifery services was her, Frau Bussa. She taught Lamaz. She taught Lalichi, I think is what they call it, how to breastfeed. It included a visit to my home. Remember, this was the 80s, and Summers
0: Armstrong was in her early 20s, an Air Force wife having her first child.
1: It was the best substitute that I could have had, not having my mom there, and she really embraced me as a human being, as a very young woman. I can't explain to someone who hasn't had a child before what that is like, but if you add the extra that you are away from home, that you don't have a loved one nearby, everything is different it looks different it feels and smells different and then to be in this experience of your life to have a baby to have someone there who really like was just my my coach advocate and really really cared for me she was so funny she probably was five feet one stocky german lady dark hair and she was tough amazing Amazing experience I will never forget.
0: Assemblywoman Summers Armstrong was a co-sponsor of the midwives bill that was brought in 2021. That was Assemblywoman Danielle Monroe Moreno's bill, and it failed by one vote toward the end of the session. As of this taping in mid-February, we are not certain if she is bringing the bill in 2023, but the doula bill did get signed into law in 2021. Let's clarify, a doula is not a midwife. Midwives help a birthing person give birth. Doula's are—I
1: call them superheroes—but that really doesn't encapsulate it. They are public health assistants. They are an information conduit for the mom. They meet with her. They build relationship, which is really, really critical. They're the advocate, and their job is only the mom. And that's where things are different because the midwife's responsibility, if anything goes haywire, is the baby, doctor is the baby, but then here's the mom kind of left in the wind. And one of the things that uh, was discussed during the hearing is that we see often in so many cases that birthing persons are not listened to during the process they're not listened to by healthcare professionals um, namely doctors and nurses and then when it's when you're in the throes of delivery and things are hectic they're focused on a safe delivery uh, making sure that the baby is is fine but we see with these statistics especially for black women and we've had so many really sad cases of, of women who have expressed vehemently. Other uh, family members have expressed something's not right. I don't feel well. I'm feeling this thing or that thing. And too often, these moms birthing persons are poo-pooed. Oh, you're okay. That's normal. Don't worry. It'll go away soon. The New York Times
0: jumped on this with some new statistics in early February. They reported a study that found that in California, the infant mortality rate for babies born to the richest white mothers was 173 in 100,000. For the poorest white mothers, it was 350 per 100,000. For the richest black mothers, 473 babies per 100,000 died in their first year. For poor black mothers, the number is 653 per 100,000. Being black, even if you're Serena Williams, will not put you on equal footing with your white peers when you give birth or anything. That's what racism is. But by the numbers, it gives a remarkable context. We know all of this. You can listen to previous episodes. What Summers Armstrong is saying is that doulas might be able to
1: help. We are hopeful that having a well-informed advocate will help. Reduce these types of horrible outcomes where we have moms who are dying after delivery or during delivery from things that could have been addressed if someone had just listened.
0: Listening is the key to the research of Dr. Sarah Swathi Vadam. She is a former midwife who now runs the Birthplace Lab in Vancouver, where she researches best practices and scores states on how well they adhere to them. Most states don't adhere very well. The highest score is a 61 in Washington state. That would be a D minus in letter grades.
5: When we did that study, we were always looking at what was better for the service user. Is it about being able to have a licensed provider or is it about being able to have access to high quality care in the setting? That you are wherever you are and if you have to change the setting that you continue to have access to the best quality care she's
0: talking about integrating medical systems which she defines with seven categories scope of practice can midwives take care of a wide range of clients including breech births site of practice can midwives birth at someone's home are they limited to a birth center
5: do they have to be in a hospital access to medications access to physician consultation or specialist care when needed governance structure? Who was responsible for deciding what best practice was and doing quality assurance and quality improvement and review of cases? Was it another profession like physicians or some nursing board or were midwives who understood their practice involved and at the table? What about things like physician supervision? It's become very apparent that if you have to get your license signed off in a certain state, Before you can provide services and no physician will sign it off because they don't necessarily want to take responsibility for somebody else's work. And those supervision laws actually detracted from quality of care and increased the disarticulation between the professions instead of everybody working together.
0: There are no states that do well in all seven of these practices even when they
5: try. In one state, the law said that certified professional midwives could access life-saving medications like things to control bleeding or oxygen. But in that same state, the pharmacists who dispensed those medications could only dispense them through a hospital pharmacy. But CPMs don't have hospital privileges
0: and therefore couldn't access the meds.
5: State law said they could do it, but there was no pragmatic way for them to implement the law. There is something like this in Nevada, too. Assemblywoman
0: Danielle Monroe Moreno carried a bill in 2021 to license birth centers and included certified professional midwives as among those who can work at or own them. That passed. The companion bill to license CPMs did not. So we have a law that says CPMs can work at birth centers, but no one can hire them. Also, we should note that the bill failed by one vote because it came with a fiscal note. The midwives backing the bill insisted that oversight be done by a separate midwifery board, which would consist of mostly midwives. This would have cost money. It didn't get the two-thirds majority needed in the legislature to raise revenue. So Nevada is left with a system where people can't work together, even if they want to.
4: Holistic, interdisciplinary care. That's a myth in Nevada right now. That's Jolena Simpson,
0: a Las Vegas midwife who now works at Make It Work Nevada. You heard her in episode two and six. On Dr. Vadam's scale on how well birthing systems are integrated, Nevada comes in with a 29 out of 100. Illinois has a score of 25. But that's only because when the study was done, Illinois did not license certified professional midwives. That has just changed in the beginning of 2023. Though with restrictions... And as Mary Leung described to us, the clinic she works at, PCC Community Wellness Center, was designed with integration in mind.
4: If they risk out of birth center care, they haven't risked out of midwifery care because we can still care for a lot of patients that are more moderate risk and even like on the low end of high risk because we work very closely with our collaborating physicians side by side in the hospital. So there's a lot of co-management that happens. But just because you risk out of the ultra low risk birth center setting doesn't mean you risk out of midwifery care.
0: That, as Jolena alluded to, does not exist in Nevada.
4: Every specialty has a different pool on them. They say they want to work with midwives, but they say their specialty can't do it because we're not licensed. And yet... Certified nurse midwives also have to have a doctor back.
0: Doctor back, that's midwife speak for backup physicians who will work with them.
4: And doctors are not beating down their doors to say, you know what my clients need and you know what I need is we need to work holistically. We don't have a holistic system because everybody's battling for their turf and battling for your turf is also battling for the money that's going into the system. And if you don't defend your turf, your education, your credentials, your ability to make the call at the state level, you're basically giving up your right to make any
3: calls. My name is Rosanna Davis, and I am a licensed midwife in the state of California. I'm also part of the leadership team at California Association of Licensed Midwives, and our acronym is CALM.
0: California has a score on the birthplace lab of 46 out of 100. That makes them the 14th highest state for integration in the country. The reason the state is not higher is because California midwives are overseen by the state medical board rather than a separate midwives board. And there are a lot of turf battles.
3: You just never know who's going to be on a particular ship that doesn't agree with the client's choices or they have assumptions or misinformation about what it is that licensed midwives do, how they're regulated. The worst of it is when Midwives and their clients are refused care. Fortunately, that rarely happens, but it shouldn't be happening at all. Or they're delayed care or they're treated punitively. On the other side of that, there are places and hospitals and communities where it is working. It can boil down to an individual charge nurse who's working that shift or the doctor that gets called in from home. and and who's never seen this patient before. And some of that's quite understandable, which is why we would do better to have better communication and cross-professional education.
2: We have amazing transfers of care in Utah. That's Libby Silva. You heard her in the last episode.
0: She's a midwife in Salt Lake City. Utah is number 10 in the U.S. on the birth lab rankings with a score of 50 out of 100. That's mostly because of restrictions by the legislature on what licensed midwives can do and where they can practice. Utah also doesn't pay certified professional midwives through Medicaid, leaving poor women with fewer choices. Utah does, however, enshrine into law the idea that midwives can practice without a license.
2: This is a very autonomous state as far as what kind of midwife you want to be or not be and what kind of restrictions you might want to have.
0: In Utah, as well as Illinois, CPMs in birth centers cannot deliver breech babies. They cannot deliver twins or vaginally deliver a second child after a first child was born by cesarean. In birthing parlance, that's called a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean. This is the one sticking point that midwives consistently bring up when they talk about regulation and oversight by doctors rather than other midwives.
3: We have a regulatory stalemate. And the bone of contention is whether or not a woman with a prior cesarean needs to have an exam with a physician in order to have a home birth with a licensed midwife.
2: In Utah, we have large LDS populations and so there is a lot of sway legally for licensure to remain optional so that women in the church can continue attending births of other women in their communities. There are certain midwives who have all the training and certification, but choose not to be licensed because they want to do twins and breaches out of the hospital. They want to allow clients to go past 42 weeks of pregnancy. Past 42 weeks, that's almost a year. We definitely have certain limitations with our licensure, but overall, I do think that it is helpful in creating the standard of care.
0: Libby makes clear that she doesn't love the idea of unlicensed midwives. Her argument is that the licensure provides a playbook of sorts that everyone along the chain of care understands. In other words, it creates that holistic system of care, even if it might restrict what
2: midwives can do or do on their own. Arbor center and our midwives are treated really, really well by local hospitals. And so when we're consulting, when we're transferring care, it really feels like we're all following the same standard of care. And I feel like clients really do reap the benefits of that. Whereas you hear lots of Horror stories about the train wrecks that were transferred to the hospital with unlicensed midwives or the midwife was unlicensed. So she didn't go with the family and bad things have happened. I do think it's harder for the medical system to have respect and trust in folks that are unlicensed because there is no standard of care. There isn't that thread that's kind of connecting those providers.
0: And here's where we get into the conflicts about midwifery. Because what Jolena and other traditional midwives question is who sets the standard of care?
6: And where is the birthing person's choice in all of this? I did have like some struggles in my pregnancy, right? When I was like five months pregnant, it almost looked like some kind of like autoimmune disease, but the doctors were never able to figure out what it was. They checked my gallbladder, all, all kinds of tests they ran on me. That's Ashley
0: Horans Alvarez whose story of seeking out a midwife after a problematic hospital birth with her first child ran in the last episode. Jolena was her midwife, and the pregnancy wasn't smooth.
6: Those two times I went to the emergency room, it was tough because it was during the pandemic and nobody was really able to go in with me. But my midwife fought. She made sure to ask all the right questions for me. Even her questions would even intimidate them, you know, because she knew what she was asking. She was asking all the right questions. And I loved that because I, you know, wasn't fully aware. I didn't know what to ask or I would be shy. They would intimidate me. I'm very appreciative of her.
4: I went with her because we didn't know what was going on.
6: And once we got to the hospital and
4: the parade of clinicians coming through going, we don't know what this is either, right? We've never seen anything like this. And then it's time to get like, What are the labs saying? What are you looking at on the labs? What are these levels? Can you explain this to her? She needs to understand this because if you're going to discharge her still feeling like this, we need to understand what next steps are.
0: If we were to look at the charts from those emergency room visits, it would likely not say that the patient was scared or confused. It would likely not note that she was hungry. Ashley said Jolena ended up bringing her food. Even the story Ashley detailed in our last episode, when the doctor came in wearing pajamas, acting irritated, and left the clamps on her umbilical cord as it dropped to the floor, were not likely to have been noted in the medical charts. Let's go back to something Jolena said in episode two. Non-compliant. That's one I still hear all the time. Non-compliant. I'm hungry. I'm in pain. I'm giving birth at 2 a.m. on a night where the hospital is short-staffed and the doctor has to be roused from his comfy bed
6: non-compliant i forgot about everything once like my eyes connected with my baby it was just like i was able to do skin to skin i was able to breastfeed her right away it was amazing i was just crying and then you hear him too in the video oh here come the waterworks
4: here come the waterworks
6: whatever is in your chart doesn't tell the whole
4: story the nurse isn't going to document that the doctor came in drunk smelling like booze that's not going to be in your chart
0: ashley never said her doctor was drunk just irritated and rude But did that make it into her chart? And did that help with the birthing process? To be treated like work that the medical professionals resented? But there's something to be said for everyone speaking the same language. What it comes down to is a matter of respect. There are midwives
4: who don't respect doctors and doctors who don't respect midwives.
0: There are plenty of good OBs who do beautiful births every day. We only hear when something goes wrong. For both midwives and doctors. But both professions are practicing all the time and the vast majority of women give birth without any trauma or complications. But there is still inherent power imbalance. Libby puts her faith in a more standardized system so doctors can trust midwives. Jolena comes from the point of view of being on the other side of the power imbalance. Ultimately,
4: they're both saying the same thing. What I really would love is to have a doctor back who is not going to be penalized from their own practice for working with a midwife outside of their practice, Um, has a respect for the choice of the birthing person, Um, has a system in place to refer that birthing person who is having a home birth to get the excellent care that they expect from a midwifery practice. I can't, go and shake that doctor's hand in, per, in public and stand in pictures with that doctor and say, we, we are part of a holistic unit. We are part of a holistic team because doctors will not like step out and say, midwives are awesome. These midwives that I've worked with that I know they have, you know, the best care for their patients, right? They, they do what they're supposed to do. Who's standing out there for midwives? They're not there for it. So when you say you have midwives who don't respect doctors, yeah. Because it's hard to respect a system who constantly invalidates the skills that you're bringing to your community. I don't know a midwife who wouldn't be open to a collaboration with a medical provider who understands midwifery, right? and allows them to be in their specialty. That's the struggle.
0: That struggle is the core issue, says Dr. Vadham, the researcher who scores states on their openness to midwifery. Libby and Jolena might disagree on what a holistic system may look like and how much autonomy midwives should have, but Dr. Vadham's research shows it doesn't matter how the groups work together as long as they do. We did a
5: 50-state environmental scan of what were all the rules and regulations and statutes in each state for midwifery practice? And did they exist at all? So then we said, well, how do we then connect that? Is there a difference between these different types of qualifications and does that connect to outcomes? Other people had done really good quality research on comparing outcomes and philosophy and characteristics of care between certified professional midwives, certified nurse midwives, And certified midwives and we were able then to feel confident that actually we're more alike than dislike and while some of us have more engagement in one setting or another and there are some differences in scope of practice around pregnancy and childbirth it's really pretty similar. Let's
0: emphasize this the outcomes between midwives and doctors and between different kinds of midwives are pretty much the same the key factor was
5: how is it implemented on the ground? Can the person who's pregnant find a provider who is qualified, has the basic skills and equipment necessary to attend them? And can they access specialist care when they need it? Whether or not that person is licensed, that ended up being more powerful with connecting to outcomes and particularly for Black and Indigenous
0: service users. All we need to do is build systems of trust so that that can happen. That should be
4: easy, right? Midwives do a different level of care, right? It's the same work, but once it reaches a certain level, we have to be like, "Mm, we need to pass you on to the next clinician. Should you have all the options? Yes, I want you to have all the options. I am only going to be able to do my scope and my option, but if I know you need to go up, everybody along the way is able to say, you know, maybe we can hold closer to the vision of that pregnant person. Maybe we can keep her out of the high-risk area, right, into the birth center that's attached to the hospital, right? She still wants to have the birth center. It's not a surgical birth. She still wants to have a few meds. Okay. Every step along the way, I want birthing people to have choices. And so when I stand in my lane, I know that going up the line they will have conscientious care that somebody is thinking about them as an individual and not as patient in room five. Or as Chandra Summers-Armstrong said,
1: Are these ladies actually going to get a little bit of Frau Bussa?"
0: The voices you heard on today's program are Assemblywoman Chandra Summers-Armstrong, Dr. Saraswathi Fadham, Las Vegas midwife, Jolena Simpson. Chicago midwife, Mary Lee Young. Midwife and president of the California Association of Licensed Midwives, Rosanna Davis. Utah midwife, Libby Silva. Ashley Horan's Alvarez. Thank you for listening to American Dreams, Reproductive Justice. Created, hosted, and executive produced by Erica Washington. Also executive produced by Kerry Kaufman with Overthinking Media, LLC. Music by Will Black of Black Gypsy Music, with incidental music by The Flowbots. Artwork by Brent Holmes. This podcast is empowered by the donations to Make It Work Nevada. We also want to pay homage to the 12 women who were in the room in 1994. Dr. Tony Bond. Reverend Alma Crawford. The late Evelyn S. Field. Terry James. Bisola. Merrick May. Cassandra McConnell, Cynthia Newble, Loretta Ross, Elizabeth Terry, Representative Abel Mabel Thomas, Wynnette P. Willis, and Kim Youngblood. We also want to note that Loretta Ross is one of the 2022 recipients of the MacArthur Foundation Genius Award for shaping a visionary paradigm linking social justice, human rights, and reproductive justice. This is American Dreams, Reproductive Justice.